Welcome to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 98. I am Tammy, and that's all you get today is I am Tammy. Um, Michelle and I recorded our episode on Ghislaine Maxwell. When the news came out, this well, we had it ready to go, and then yesterday, at least is when I heard it, the news broke about Chesley Christ, who was a former um, Miss USA champion, and she jumped to her death from her 60-story apartment in Manhattan this past Sunday, January the 30th, at 7.15 a.m. This whole series is about women in the news and how we can learn and grow from that. And there's nothing more important to us than your mental and emotional well-being, and that's what this is about. So unfortunately, Michelle could not join me today. Um, And I I did have to put this together last minute. But what I wanted to open with here is to read to you an essay that Chesley wrote in March of 2021. So what I mean is this was in print, and there will be a link in the show notes. But I think it took me about six minutes to read it. So if you're driving, this is perfect for you to be able to listen. Listen to the words of Chelsea Christ about the pressures of society to remain young, beautiful, and productive. Each time I say, I'm turning 30, I cringe a little. Sometimes I can successfully mask this uncomfortable response with excitement. Other times, my enthusiasm feels hollow, like bad acting. Society has never been kind to those growing old, especially women. Well, occasional exceptions are made for some of the rich and a few of the famous. When I was crowned Miss USA 2019 at 28 years old, I was the oldest woman in history to win the title, a designation even the sparkling 200,000 pearl and diamond Mikimoto crown could barely brighten for some diehard pageant fans who immediately began to petition for the age limit to be lowered. A grinning, crinkly-eyed glance at my achievements thus far makes me giddy about laying the groundwork for more, but turning 30 feels like a cold reminder that I'm running out of time to matter in society's eyes, and it's infuriating. After a year like 2020, you would think we'd learn growing old is a treasure, and maturity is a gift not everyone gets to enjoy. Far too many of us allow ourselves to be measured by a standard that some sternly refuse to challenge and others simply acquiesce to because fitting in and going with the flow is easier than rowing against the current. I fought this fight before, and it's the battle I'm currently fighting with 30. How do I shake society's unwavering norms when I'm facing the relentless tick of time? It's the age-old question, what happens when immovable meets unstoppable? To be fair, I didn't spring from the womb, sword in hand, to fight the good fight, and I am certainly not exempting myself from belonging to the -the go-with-the-flow crowd on occasion. I remember being enamored by 20 under 20 and 30 under 30 lists that tied achievement to youth and called it success. Lists that are surely intended to recognize the rarity of accomplishing outstanding feats at a young age. But they had an unfortunate side effect on some some young people who felt encouraged to hoard accomplishments as fast as possible in order to measure up to our peers. When I graduated from college and opted to continue my studies at Wake Forest University, 
I decided I'd earn a law degree and an MBA at the same time. Why stop at two degrees when you can have three? I joined a trial team at school, won a national championship. I competed in moot court, won essay competitions, and earned local, regional, and national executive board positions. I nearly worked myself to death, literally, until an eight-day stint in a local hospital sparked the development of a new perspective. I discovered that the world's most important question, especially when asked repeatedly and answered frankly, is, why? Why earn more achievements just to collect another win? Why pursue another plaque or medal or line item on my resume if it's for vanity's sake rather than out of passion? Why work so hard to capture the dreams I've been taught by society to want when I continue to find only emptiness? Too often, I notice that the only people impressed by an accomplishment were those who wanted it for themselves. And meanwhile, I was rewarded with a lonely craving for the next reward. Someone see this hunger and label it competitiveness. Others might call it the unquenchable thirst of insecurity. I was further along in the journey of learning this lesson when I won Miss USA. My term was not an exercise in the expected. Instead, it felt filled with purpose. In fact, from the moment I won, my reign ignited a heightened desire to commit myself to passion, intent, and authenticity. Pageant girls are supposed to be model tall and slender, don bouffant hair, and have a killer walk. But my five foot six frame, one with six pack abs, earned after years of competing in Division I track and field, and a head of natural curls in a time when generations of black women have been taught that being too black would cost them wins in the boardroom and on pageant stages. My challenge of the status quo certainly caught the attention of the trolls. And I can't tell you how many times I have deleted comments on my social media pages that had vomit emojis and insults telling me I wasn't pretty enough to be Miss USA or that my muscular build was actually a man's body. And that was just my looks. My opinions, on the other hand, were enough to make a traditional pageant fan clutch their pearls. Women who compete in pageants are supposed to have a middle-of-the-road opinion, if any, so as not to offend. I talked candidly about my views on the legalization of marijuana, the Trump administration's immigration policies, anti-abortion laws, the confirmation of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, and the success and failures of criminal justice reform. I openly supported the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and marched in protests over the summer. I wasn't searching to collect more awards or recognition during my reign. Rather, I fed the passion that made waking up each morning feel worthwhile, speaking out against injustice. My 29th birthday felt very emblematic of the season I'm looking forward to entering. In a time when extravagant birthday bashes are the gold standard of celebrations, I was happily stuck in my apartment, parading around in a black silk silk top matching shorts and a floor-length robe while scarfing down banana pudding and screening birthday calls. I even wore my crown around the apartment for most of the day, knowing I'd have to give it back at the end of my reign as Miss USA. I did what I wanted rather than what the expected. Now I enter year 30 searching for joy and purpose on my own terms, and that feels like my own sweet victory. That last sentence was heartbreaking to me. Now I enter 30, year 30, searching for joy and purpose, and she isn't with us. You're going to hear my paper shuffling because I did print this out. 
and I underlined some things, and then I wrote down a few thoughts, and that's that's really what this is going to be, is just me kind of sharing my thoughts, because my own mental health journey has been just so up and down, and there are so many, you know, triumphs and and failures, I get maybe that's not the right word, but here's some things that I that I underlined. Society has never been kind to those growing old, especially women. And that is a cultural thing. You know, it is not that way in all, all parts of the world. I underlined, circled, and question mark when she said, for some diehard pageant fans who began to petition for the age limit to be lowered. I don't really have anything to say about pageants. That's not what this is about. But who are these diehard pageant fans who would take time to, like, actually petition to have that age limit lowered? She was 28 years old, 28 years old. And we're saying that society is saying that that is old. I just, mm, I underlined Growing old is a treasure, and maturity is a gift not everyone gets to enjoy. You know, I'm I'm 50. Um, hang on a minute. I think I'm 57. I was born in 64. Does that make me 57? Yeah, 58 this year. And and I try to remind myself of that all the time. That growing old is a gift that not everyone gets, and that just struck me so much. I only underline the part about the 20 under 20 and the 30 under 30. Um, in that having the unintended consequence of having young people just strive. Now, there's nothing wrong with having ambition and having goals, but the pressure to measure up to people. Um, I underlined, should I stop saying I underlined? When she talked about earning three degrees and competing in moot court and doing this and winning and earning and worked herself to death, and I was like, Chelsea, I did that. You know, during the height of my anxiety, I, I listen, I was, okay, I was pregnant. I had two children under the age of four. I was going to school part-time. I was working full-time. And then I decided to student teach full-time, but I still continued to work part-time, have the children be pregnant, and still take classes. And I got an A in all of those classes. Woohoo! You know, and then to, directly related to that, she says, I noticed the only people impressed by an accomplishment were those who wanted it for themselves. And it, you know, for her, I really, I don't know anything about her history. I know from my history, this desire to please and over accomplish and be perfect all stemmed from my childhood. Now, I am not blaming my parents. I'm just saying we were poor. You know, my mother battled mental illness. We lived in and filth, and we were outcast by the neighborhood. I was overweight and called bully on the bus and all these things. And I thank God, I thank God there was no social media because the biggest thing she says here is, I can't tell you how many times I've deleted comments that had things like vomit emojis and insults that she was too, or she wasn't pretty enough, or that she had a man body. And then her opinions, she was insulted for her opinions on social media. I just, it's it's so hard in such a short period of time to formulate all of the things that I want to say to you. But I did write down some things and here you still hear my, my pages shuffling. And these are really just things that I thought, well, what do I have to say that could help? What? How can I continue the conversation about mental health? Because listen, we are all on a mental health spectrum. 
all of us. Everything from, oh my gosh, I'm so happy I won the lottery or I find the person of my dreams or, you know, I got the job of my dreams, whatever. I'm so, so happy. All the way from there to suicidal. We're, we're on that mental health spectrum, just like we are on our physical health. But even though we're in 2022 and we're still talking about it, we still have so long to go. So I wrote down a few things. I noticed in my life, just in public, maybe there would be a child who would say something negative to or about another person as they walk by. And then sometimes I would see the parent just sort of tap them and smile and say, that's not nice. But they were smiling and they were just tapping them. Listen, I, I think we, 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 Sometimes Michelle talked about this. Actually, I don't think it's the episode that aired, but she talks about sort of living in things that seem normal. And I think we believe that normal is that kids are going to be mean to each other. Kids are going to say hurtful things. But I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't think in my whole growing up time, I don't think I ever did that. And I don't think that that is necessarily a normal thing to do. And and what I'm saying is just that we need to, to train and teach our children, that it's not okay to make those comments, that we need to be more loving and kind. So I hope that doesn't go a bunch of places I didn't mean for it to, but I just mean, let your kids know, let the young people in your world know that that that's not an acceptable behavior. The second thing I wrote down is related to that, and that is setting examples for the young girls in your lives, whether it's daughters, nieces, friends, whoever those are, And I'm not always good at doing that. And what I mean is not saying things like, oh, my gosh, I'm so fat. Oh, my gosh, I'm so old. Oh, my gosh, I'm so ugly. And letting your daughter or young girl see you say those things. And I have to be careful about that. It's it's not easy, you know, getting older and getting into your 50s. And I think, oh, my gosh, and she was 28 feeling too old. I see women in their 30s who think they're too old. And I started to say, oh, I was so beautiful in my 30s. Not, you know what I'm saying, compared to now. But that's wrong. That is absolutely wrong. We need to stop saying those things. You know, my field of study is about is discursive psychology, and it's how we speak and we create our identities and our worlds and our realities. We need to speak those things differently. I don't need to say things like, oh, I was so much better in this way or that way when I was younger, because that is just not true. Now, does my skin look different? It does. Does my body feel different? It does. That's for sure. But I need to stop saying things, especially in front of young women, that indicate that my getting older is anything but a gift. So that was the second thing I wrote down. The third thing I wrote down is kind of weird. I wrote down, be careful giving and accepting compliments. Now, I don't mean that you shouldn't give them or accept them, but I was thinking about what she said about like the 30 under 30 and the 20 under 20 and how that was an honor, but it became this weird thing to live up to. And I was thinking about the past couple years, my older son introduced me to the concept of intermittent fasting. And I started doing it about, I think it's been a year and a half, maybe two years ago. And I didn't do it really for weight loss. I did it because I am a junk food junkie. I eat sweets nonstop. My blood sugar has started to go up a little bit. My cholesterol has started to go up a little bit. I don't have a good family history, and I'm 57. But part of what happened was that I lost, I think, about 12 pounds, 
which was fine. I mean, I wasn't really overweight. Well, I wasn't overweight before, but I wasn't underweight. So it wasn't, it was fine. I mean, you know, I was fine. My clothes fit better. But people would say, oh my gosh, you look amazing. Oh my gosh, have you lost weight? You look so good. Well, you can probably, you can probably say it out loud with me right now. The unintended consequence of that was me thinking, well, did I look bad before? And then I put back on five of those pounds and I was thinking, well, did they still think I look good? So when you're giving compliments to someone, just maybe try to frame them in a way that's not just about you look better than you did before because society says maybe it was a skin issue or a weight issue. Just, you know what, just get in the habit of telling people they look lovely. And then the whole accepting compliments and what I mean by that is just be careful how you weigh them because that that's what I learned from that whole weight loss thing. It was like, wow, I really took that to a different level. So be careful about that. Um, I wrote down two more things. Think before you post. That is not rocket science. We have just, just, just think a minute. And I'm hoping that that you're listening as someone who wouldn't ever put vomit emojis to someone or tell someone that they were too old or too ugly, but just think before you post. And the last two, I'm sorry, two more things now. I I put down, make informed decisions regarding friends and family with mental health issues. It's it's tough. You know, I'm reading all of the things that people um, are saying about Chelsea and they knew she had some struggles and no one is responsible for someone taking their own life in that way. I'm not saying that at all. Um, But I was, it was about 1999, and I actually lost a friendship and didn't know until years later. It was because she didn't know how to deal with my mental health, health issues. So what I mean by this is if you have women in your world or people in your world who you know are struggling, maybe it is become, maybe it has become quite a burden to you. But make an informed decision before you decide what to do with that friendship. You know, reach out to a mental health expert, and I'll post some links in the show notes. Um, Just talk with someone about how you can best handle that, how you can best be a support without having the life sucked out of you. And now I think it's the last thing, and this is the most important thing, and that is get help if you need it. Remember, we are all in this spectrum. You know, my husband told me a couple days ago that he was talking to a a woman that we both know, and he shared with her that I am taking Lexapro, you know, and I, because I asked him, I said, well, because she was talking about being on it. And I was like, please do share it. Now, I don't expect everybody to be as free as I am with, with my mental health spectrum, but don't be ashamed, you know, and if you don't feel like you can talk about it in a group setting or publicly, at least find someone you can confide in and get help if you need it. Don't let your spectrum move further down than you want it to. Get help, help each other, love each other, learn from these situations that come out. And I encourage you to please post some comments. Please do. On the show notes, in the Facebook group, all of those things. So that's what I have for you today. I hope that it was coherent in some way because it was very quick. And I, I, I love you all. You know, I, I pray for our group. Um, yeah, that's it. So as, you, as always, 
visit the show notes, leave us a comment. And until we're together next time in a big, big way, consider yourself hugged.